Hey everybody, welcome to episode 62 of the Go Get Outside podcast. This is your host, Jason Milligan. Welcome back. Welcome aboard. It is that time again. It is time for another roundtable episode. On today's show, we will be talking with four separate individuals about bike packing and bike touring. And if you are not familiar with those terms, you will be later in the show. But suffice it to say, this episode is all about traveling long distances for multiple days on a bicycle. I want to thank Lauren Grabowski, who appeared back in episode 40, for helping me put this together. She got this group of individuals together so that we could have this discussion. We will hopefully answer all of your questions about on- and off-road bikepacking and touring. So let us go talk to our four guests about living off of a bicycle. Carballo. I ride bikes when I am not working. Sometimes I camp multiple days while doing so. I am Niels Hilliard. I'm a LA native and I also ride bikes when I can, as often as I can, and also go camping on them when I can. My name is Lauren Grabowski. I love getting outside and doing all kinds of things, but biking is probably the thing that I do the most. Hi, I'm Megan Graham. I also like to ride my bike, just like everyone here. I ride with these fools a lot uh, and camp with them and do all the outdoor things. I think it would be great if you were the only one who said, I don't like to ride a bike. I'm not sure why I'm here. <laughs> I've never ridden a bike before, actually. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to get you a bike with some training wheels immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I ride a tricycle, actually. Oh, nice. So now that everyone knows who you all are and they've heard your credentials, which is you like to ride bikes, so therefore you're an expert on the topic, we can have you all explain to those people who have no idea what it is, what bikepacking is, and how that may differ from touring. I'm going to take a shot at this answer. There's some people differentiate bike touring from when you're primarily on roads and have panniers to carry your stuff. And bikepacking is when you have more of like an ultralight setup, often without racks or rear panniers, usually on dirt. Um, Not everyone makes this distinguishment between the two. And the type of bike touring I like to do often kind of combines both. And and I think a quick thing we could say for everybody is bikepacking is what it sounds like. It's kind of backpacking, except with a bike. Mm -hmm. You said uh, a lot of people that are road biking have panniers. So explain to people what those are. It's a bag that you put on your bike to carry your stuff. And there's all different styles, but it usually hangs on like a rack on the front or the rear of your bike. So yeah, and usually you have it like sort of symmetrical for optimal balance. It'll be like two large ones on the back and two smaller ones on the front. It's like a French word. Some people say panier. I call it a panier. (laughs) So who wants to tell Lauren why she's wrong and why bikepacking is something totally different than what she just said? Oh, this is a debate podcast. I, before the beginning of this podcast, did not know that there was a difference. I don't know. I've always started with Paneers on racks. The things that used to go on bike frames weren't fitting towards certain frames in the beginning. I guess, yeah, backpacking that, or bikepacking is like a lighter weight version of it, and you can go further in a day and 
up bigger hills and stuff like that. So everybody's in agreement now on the term? Lauren insinuated there was going to be a lot more debate about what this means. No, I'm, I feel very educated now, actually. I didn't know. I thought, yeah, bikepacking, bike touring. I started saying bikepacking once I met backpackers. Listeners right. at home looking for a debate yeah. can go on Reddit and go read like what some really esoteric folks feel about this topic. Oh, so are you insinuating there's some Redditors right now listening to this saying, no, these, these idiots don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Just, just taco. Quick thing we talk about right here is most people listening to this probably rode a bike at some point in their life, but they probably don't bike back, or maybe some people do. So how did each of you go from being a person with a tricycle or a bike with training wheels to a person who decided, let me put a bunch of my valuables onto a bike and go long distances? I guess I got into sports a little bit late. I never really did much sportsing. I grew up in Florida and it's too hot out and I was a goth kid and so I just stayed inside a lot and didn't understand why my sister was outside in the pool, like tanning and stuff. And so I stayed indoors is the point of that. Yeah, once I started deciding like, hey, I live in Southern California, it's nice outside, I should go do stuff. I started with hiking, because you can just walk, you know, and that's pretty simple, you don't have to have a lot of skills. Started biking more around town. The two things kind of ran tangentially, where I was getting more into hiking and then into the backcountry and the backpacking and multi-day backpacking trips, taking wilderness travel course with the Sierra Club, and then getting more and more into cycling during the week, night rides with She Wolf Attack Team was a local group, women's group that had a lot of night rides. SWAT! Yeah, shout out to SWAT and Susie Lowbrow. Yeah, so through that I got strong enough to feel like I could give it a shot. I knew some people who had started doing it. I had a boyfriend once a long time ago. <laughs> all yeah, all right. One time I had a boyfriend, I swear. No, this guy I was dating rode from Portland to LA and I was just like, wow, that's the coolest thing ever. I'd never heard of anyone doing that. I met him out on his tour and like hung out for a weekend. It was just like, what? This is so cool. So I was really happy when I started meeting people that like do both. Backpacking gets real boring because walking is only so entertaining. But bikepacking, there's such like a varied amount of things you could be seeing in a day. Like you're going to be in town, you're going to be in the woods, you're going to be at the top of a mountain, you're going to be by some water. You know, you can really get a lot further and have a lot more freedom and variety. So yeah, I think I'm pretty sold on bikepacking being the best thing ever. Yeah. I would say I'm also pretty sold on it being the best thing ever. I think what attracted me to bikes in the first place was exploring, like exploring our environment here within the city. And the more I felt confident on the bike just to try and explore further and see as far as I could go. I wasn't driving a car at the time. The bike was a way to get further afield and then putting stuff on to sleep overnight was just the way to go like that one step further. I used to ride when I was a little kid and I rode BMX and then I quit doing that and then I went to college and parking sucked and so I bought a bike on Craigslist and I started riding around town in Long Beach. When you're in college you have a lot of free time and I would just ride to different bars that I would look up on Google Maps. <laughs> the further I would, tr I would try to make the miles as uh, you know as far as I could until I was like riding to Dana Point or like Laguna Beach to go drink and then ride back home and then drink a cup of coffee and go to class. And I moved to LA and I found out the bikes can have brazons and you can like carry stuff with you. So I bought a rack and I used to visit my friends in Long Beach and stay the night. Friends moved away from Long Beach. But I still had these paneers, so I used to just like explore Long Beach and camp in little spots that weren't not campsites or anything, but just, you know, spend the night in Long Beach and drink and 
hang out and then ride back home the next morning. And, and then I started riding bikes in LA more often on night rides and stuff and met a group called EPPP, Echo Park Bike Posse. Met more people that rode bikes in the fashion that I did. Started going on longer rides and then multi-day rides. And then I got more into, instead of just driving to Joshua Tree or driving to Sequoias and camping for a couple of days in your car, just exploring a smaller amount of area, more detailed, I guess, on a bike. I guess I would say that I'm like the slower, I'm a bike tourist instead of a bike packer. <laughs> I like that you look to Lauren to, yeah. to give you validation. Well, I, for yeah, I learned, no, I mean... <laughs> Yeah. I'm a human being? <laughs> yes? Yes? Okay. Well, she'll be quick to correct yeah, if anyone I, does I misstate. Feel, so, yeah. I feel like bike touring for me in the beginning was about carrying as many things as you can. Always having room for like trinkets and whatever. A six pack of beer or a statue that you find at a garage sale in Petaluma. It was a slower pace for me. But I've gotten more into bike packing. And I have a frame bag that actually Nils made me that I've backpacked once with. It was very hard. You bring a lot less stuff. I didn't have my chair. Did you still have your statue from Petaluma? No, no room for cargo. Some people helped me carry my trash home. Uh, I, I think it's a really interesting question because... Because um, you probably already answered it on your own episode of this Exactly. <laughs> Maybe. So well, it's also interesting to think of other people's answers because there's so many people in LA that I started biking with just around town to grab a beer. And we've all sort of evolved together to become better cyclists and to do more bikepacking together. And we've shared a lot of tips on gear and right. route planning. And so I think just having other people has made the world of difference for me. I had always wanted to bike tour growing up. I just didn't feel like I had the opportunity or the knowledge. And in fact, as I did mention on a previous podcast, my first bike tour, I didn't have a bike. <laughs> I showed up at Glacier and was like, oh, the road's closed to cars. I think I'll, I'll bike it. So I rented a bike. I didn't have panniers or panier <laughs> and I just threw all my stuff in a backpack and headed up the mountain and hoped for the best and I think that's also an important lesson too for anyone who's looking to get into bike touring or bike packing that sometimes it seems like intimidating and really gear intensive you can make it work with whatever gear you have but it helps when you have other people to to ride with and give you advice as you progress. But just anyone who has a bike and a backpack can make it work. Let's talk about that gear because I do think that's one of those things that can be a little intimidating for an activity <laughs> like this. Such a wide selection of bikes to choose from. So first you have to decide what sort of bike you want and whether you want to pay $20 for a bike or $20,000 for a bike. Then you have to decide what you put on that bike. And so you have to make all the same decisions that you do as a camper or backpacker, but then also with those caveats that come along from having a bicycle as your means of transportation. So let's talk about that gear. We can maybe start with choosing a bike. Well, never go on a bike tour on a bike that you bought for $20 <laughs> or $200. You didn't look to Lauren for validation and she looks like she's unhappy with your answer. I'm sorry, Lauren. I am all for old and rusty and well working, but um, a day ride is a day ride. And on my first bike tour, I learned that like planning a bike tour based on how much you can ride in one day on a certain bike uh, is very different from riding five days on that same bike in a row having a bike that's not uh reliable or you know you've never been on a long enough ride or been on it without oiling the chain or or having it tuned up for like a week and riding it strenuously you, you screw yourself and i mean i've i've totally screwed myself of just like 
starting a bike tour ill-prepared mechanically and started with a broken down bike and made a four-day trip a five-day trip it sucks in one jest like you can actually go bike touring for 500 dollars. like if you bought a bike in like swap met and like took your time and look for deals on ebay and yada 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 all you really need is enough stuff depending on your route for one night of sleeping and you pick up stuff along the way depending on the season you can do it with a sleeping bag and a sweatshirt it's true you're gonna you're gonna have a much better time if you have better gear and nathan's right it's funny i just remembered now when i first bought my bike i now have several bikes never thought that would happen either but uh, Nathan was actually one of the people I asked for advice and I was really hoping for a lower price range and everyone's like no you're gonna have to spend like around like 800 to a thousand which now I think that's fine but at the time that seemed really cost prohibitive for something I wasn't sure how often I was going to do so I think that it is worth the investments you can always resell bikes too that's a good thing about them is they they hold their value I guess I just want to share this story and it was actually with Shantae, who was also on another podcast. And And who has a book out now. Yeah, she has a book out all on the PCT. She wanted to get more into bikepacking. And she actually reached out to several people, including Megan and myself. And my response to her was, these are some recommended bikes and gear, but if you don't have the money, just make it work with what you have. Use any bike you have borrow a bicycle, rent a bicycle, but don't let the gear get in your way of doing it. People who just want to go and maybe go for a night, you're right, five nights on a $20 bike, you're going to never want a bike tour again. I think that was my reaction to Nathan, though, is for people who can't obtain like a $1,000 bike right off the bat, just try to make it work with what gear you have and just plan your your trip accordingly. Maybe you can do just like a mellower 10 or 20 mile bike ride just for one overnight. And if you decide it's something you're going to get into, then it's time to invest more in a in a nicer bicycle. I guess the other thing is is steel is something we all feel pretty strongly about. That's a that's a common yeah. question people come across when looking to invest in a bike. And I, you know, I was looking to maybe save weight, looking at aluminum, looking at carbon, and a steel. I think is definitely the way to go. It's stronger. It's more durable. And you know, again, it really depends on the kind of tour you're doing. But the extra couple pounds isn't really going to make a difference. Steel is real. To throw out. I guess another buzzword that you hear in the cycling world is like run what you brung and I think I would echo that in my first bike tour was not a five-day tour it was a two-day tour but it was on a $200 setup I had this yard sale bike I had gotten an old Schwinn and a saddlebag that I had strapped on and then I strapped the sleeping bag to the front handlebars and looking back on it I was probably lucky that it didn't break down but with a little bit of knowledge planning a route that's close to bike shops you know just just knowing like the limitations you have you can make a good just buying bikes on the way (laughs) uber serving areas from one craigslist ad to the next we've definitely had those moments where we went from one bike shop to the next bike shop oh yeah yeah it's a good time I have a reputation for overbringing so I can't really speak to the you don't need a lot of gear don't worry about the gear because I'm obsessively geared up to a fault (laughs) but I don't care I want to bring my chair I want my 20 degree sleeping bag even if it's not going to be cold out I want my xbox yeah pocket bellows all the things yeah a a pocket bellows if you don't know what a pocket (laughs) bellows is 
You're missing out. Yeah, but I had a lot of backpacking gear already, so it was already lightweight enough to throw on the bike, and I was really not as intimidated because that was my only sport. So I just was like, you know, I need a tent for backpacking, I need it for bikepacking, and those all kind of go together. But I do have a tendency to bring too much like backcountry stuff on the bike tours and bikepacking because I forget that you're always like able to roll to a store if you really need it. So I have all these like extra emergency provisions, and I'm always like freaked out that nobody else has them. But <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, we're still in civilization we'll be fine but hey if you need like a blood clotting rag i'm your person <laughs> we should talk about the chair the chair is an important Nate, piece Nate, of gear Nate should talk about the chair the rei folding chair oh i don't want to name brands can we i don't want to like you can, you can you can name and say anything you want just remember Ooh. you have to live with the consequences of your actions that's oh, I feel all that matters I've, i mean they well know maybe they'll send you free shit i can guarantee you they won't <laughs> No, they won't. No, after what I'm going to say about this other brand. <laughs> I had a really bad bike tour for the first bike tour. And then I did a couple more since and I honed in what I needed and wanted and car camping along the way. REI, or I guess the outdoor industry started coming out with these folding aluminum, really lightweight chairs. The lightest one is obviously the one I initially wanted to get, which was A-Lite. One pound. It was one pound, <laughs> and I broke it after sitting in it one time. <laughs> Mind you, yeah, I guess podcast listeners cannot see that I'm 6'1", 230 pounds, and I drink often while uh, camping. Nate, Nate also didn't introduce himself <laughs> properly. His nickname is Nate the Destroyer. Yes. <laughs> he got hit by a car. The car didn't make it. Yeah, so I, 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 <laughs> break, I break things often, including some cars that I've hit a couple times. Yeah, so I, I, I have... Like I have a self Yelp, like uh, like I call it destroyer rating, like how long something lasts, <laughs> and the ratio is usually if it lasts a year under my ownership, it's a lifetime guarantee. <laughs> so anyway, so I had the A light chair. It was great the first time I sat in it, then I gave up on it because it snapped under me, underneath me, and I traded it in. And luckily, I bought it at REI, and they told me it's like, well, why don't you try it? Our chair, it's fifteen less dollars and three quarters of a pound heavier. That thing lasted me like five and a half years, and it's great. So the chair for me, it, it defines like the type of attitude. Like if I'm bringing the chair, it's a certain type of tour. If I'm not bringing the chair, it's another certain type of tour. I guess that's my bike touring versus bike packing mm -hmm. like i don't bring the chair if i'm bike packing and i don't know how much you know this nate but when you first had an ultralight chair i think a lot of us were making fun of you and thought it was really strange yeah. and now i think all of us have a chair everyone i camp with has a chair yeah you, you've introduced positive change <laughs> nate will also like have the chair with on like a regular bike ride and just whip it out at like a yeah. public park yeah. and we're all sad that I've, we don't have chairs i've learned at yeah. least in los angeles that as long as you leave a walkway you can if there are no other chairs i can whip up my rei chair and sit next to my friends at the table with no complaints so other than a chair let's talk about <laughs> nothing, let's, nothing at all that's all you <laughs> need <a> chair. <laughs> yeah let, let's let's talk about what essential items you need to bring other than a chair the one i think about first always is water <laughs> I don't know. You are very wise. <laughs> My decisions tend to flow from that. Mainly, it starts with planning, so you know where you're going to get your water. And if you have a trip you're doing where water stop is like 
120 miles between water, then you that's like how I decide the rest of what I bring. Nils also brings a cast iron skillet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so my priorities are a little weird, but water, cast iron skillet, chair. Yeah, kind of like, <laughs> cast iron, chair, that's it. All right, come on, I know there are other things there. You have bike tires that can blow. You, you've got to need more than water in a chair. Food, water, shelter, <laughs> and then a way of keeping the bike running. So yeah, tires. Recently, tubeless has become a thing, and I'm fully behind that. I think saved my butt several times touring and otherwise but still again a backup for that would be a tube patch kit repair kit small mechanics kit little bits of bolts and bobs a medical kit cooking kit and again priorities like like nate said the chair is kind of his yardstick for what you know what kind of tour it's going to be if he can't fit the chair he can't fit the other items so the chair only goes right he's pulling up a a packing list this is the sign that i do not prepare i prepared once a long time ago since then, I, I don't have to. This note kind of goes into a different subject, bike weight management, and where you want to put certain things. If you have a lot of water, like if you're going into the desert, you want to put your heavier things lower, as central as possible, and if that's not possible, as far forward as possible, just for being able to control this much heavier thing than a bike usually is. So I have this like list that's a paneer weight management list, on my phone and this is a a chair camping version (laughs) which is much like car camping for me in the front i bring all my this is you know when i'm going to be really cold all my clothes all the warm things this front right paneer all the clothes warm things the the liner for my sleeping bag my pad speaking of nice gear i bought a really nice sleeping bag that is 20 degrees but shrinks very very small so i also put my sleeping bag in there in the other front one, I put all my food, like other than snacks for the day, toiletries and fuel, the chair. And then there's usually room in there, as I said earlier, for trinkets. And also, so I usually, with that pack, I have room for five beers. So I can have beer or snacks or a hot dog or whatever. And then the rear, I can, um, I strap my tent poles to, I mean, if you can divide your tent poles from your tents, it's a lot easier to pack things because I'm already bringing a bunch of shit. I just strap it to the rear rack that I have on, stuff my tent into the rear pannier. That leaves a lot of room for just stuff that you're going to waste your money on. And like, I don't know, I like buy bottles of wine and pineapples. And like this one time we camped in like a whole day, we were going to be on the beach and I had Google earthed it and there was no shelter. So I Bought an umbrella. That umbrella was clutched. Yeah, Nils was there. And <laughs> you never know what you're going to need to bring along. So I like to pack for cargo room. And it's a huge advantage biking over backpacking. Is I feel like i very ultralight anymore when I backpack. And when I'm biking, you just carry more sort of like luxury items and non-essentials. I don't really backpack with my chair. Um, and I have like instant coffee. But when I'm bikepacking, coffee grinders, that's kind of like I think another big luxury item that, that a lot of us have. Um, and like pour over coffees. You know, an extra 10 pounds in a backpack is you're really going to feel it. It's going to dramatically slow down your progress an extra 10 pounds on your bike it really won't make a significant difference yeah you can travel with a lot more booze Megan has all the luxury (laughs) items I do I'm a little bit overboard I think that the main investment needs to be in a sleep system and maybe that's a backpacking rule of thumb but for me the comfort in like having one of those like blow up mattresses (laughs) backpacking like 
raft that you sleep on uh, was game changing for me. I like didn't get that in the beginning and I would just like throw a blanket down in a tent and like lay down on it. And then I was like, oh, that's why camping sucks. Like you need this stuff and then it's totally comfortable. So I would like definitely spend some money on the pad thing, a good sleeping bag that's lightweight that you can pack down. I got mine at REI on one of their like sale, sale, sales, but I did get a 20 degree bag because I find it to be the most versatile. And I have one of those like typical backpacking tents, a big Agnes, like one person. I can't remember the one, but whatever. Big, everybody knows these things, these backpacking brands. There's like three good kinds. In my opinion. <laughs> Let's yeah, name all the ones you don't like and see if they'd like I to sponsor hate, the show. Yeah. I, well, no, it's more like styles. Like, I hate a single wall tent. I don't want to wake up in condensation. Yeah, I don't I don't know. They, a lot of them just aren't lightweight enough, and some of them break. Research a company's lifetime guarantee. Yeah. Big Agnes, thank you. Big shout out to Big Agnes. Thank you for all your lifetime oh. help. Got a tent coming your way. So I have a, I have a very specific question. What is everyone's opinion on those self-healing, goo-filled tires? I guess that would be another word for tubeless. Oh, well, they're um, also they're also the tubes you can buy that oh. have they're filled with a green goo or whatever, oh, and they're supposed oh, to heal themselves. Oh. <laughs> okay, I've never used slime, those like slime, slime tubes. Yeah. No. yeah, but it sounds like it's a big no from everyone. <laughs> I know it. of those from. BMX riding because you get thorns a lot, especially in Southern California, arid areas where we don't get rain much. They really, really suck because instead of, well, I mean, they're they're kind of they were a great thing at one point in time, but now that tubeless tires exist, they're kind of obsolete. You're adding a lot of weight with a lower quality of like durability. Yeah, it's 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 not as durable for heavier weight. I mean, tubeless is great. As long as you maintain it, you can have small punctures and you can even have some some pinch flats that or you, you, you avoid pinch flats sometimes while being tubeless on dirt roads. And you can also run a lower pressure and it's more comfortable. Slime really does. I'm not I'm not keen on that. It's just a bunch of gunk in it. Sometimes it can get gunked up in a certain spot and then it changes the rotational weight. And then like it feels like there's a lump in your tire and. It's weird. I often tour with just with tubes carrying a chair. And so I just, I bring, I bring, I bring like three tubes. I also bring like a spare tire depending on the route that I'm going. Like, you know, I, I bring a spare tire and, you know, foldable tires are a thing. They can fit into paneers. So let's talk about, about your options for travel, right? So you've mentioned paneers a bunch of times, but you also could drag a trailer behind you or you could use bags. What are everyone's opinions on when you would want those? I might sound judgy here, but I'm going to go for it. I feel like (laughs) trailers are sort of like an old dude thing. I don't know. It's like old school. Maybe not old dude, but old school. Yeah, it seems like it'd be cool if you were like lugging a cooler or something, but two things just have different uses. Like my paneers, I can shove so much stuff in there and I can leave room to like add more stuff, you know? But with the bike packing bag set up, it's more nimble, uh, it's streamlined, it's like on your bike, it's like with the line of your bike. So there's a bag in the triangle, you know, like a frame bag. Uh, there's like a bag under your seat that's stuck and like flying around under your butt. And then there's like a roll bag on your handlebars. You know, the bummer town of that setup is like, yeah, you can bring like no chair sometimes. <laughs> um, not a lot of cooking gear, you know. But the cool thing is you're on a bike, so you might be able to just go pick up a burrito and then bring it with you, you know. So it's not like you have to do 
the uh, terrible dehydrated meals. But yeah, the paneers are more just like anything goes. You can just bring anything. And bike the bike packing bags are also maybe harder to find and harder to figure out because they're kind of newer. A few of us have had our buddy Niels here make us custom frame bags because we're the luckiest people ever to have this wonderful friend who will do that for us. But I don't know how the heck else you get a frame bag that fits your bike exactly. You're going to get something wonky maybe that's like going to be kind of lumpy and not fit. Oh, I have a previous podcast with Rogue Panda that you should listen to because if you send him measurements of your bike, he will custom make you a frame bag. Not to take away from from Niels here. No, I don't know that I don't know that Niels wants the notoriety of no, being a frame bag maker. Yeah, no. That's true. Niels is going to be getting a lot of DMs Sorry, Niels. about some frame bags. From what I had heard about frame bag custom makers like you know it gets really backed up they're really nice quality and i know that like it's just like if it's not custom fit then it kind of doesn't fit to your bike and then i guess yeah if you have the time to like really plan out a vacation like i'm going to go on this thing in june next year i can order this thing now I, I know a lot of people that got those things, and now it's a very bikepacking is a very big thing now. Some wait times are a year for a bike bag. Relevate Designs makes really good stuff. And it's not just custom frames; it's all Neil's also makes custom handlebar <laughs> bags. Um, and I think the handlebar bag it's, for me is kind of like the coolest of all the bags. I think you can get away with only having a handlebar bag, and there's some really cool styles. Um, it's like really big; it tucks in between your your handlebars and it'll often have like a clear covering where you can put in maps or directions and if you're going really light you can get away with like just having that and they're super stylish they look a little bit vintagey sometimes and it's usually where you keep the items that you're going to access the most so I feel like that's the bag that's kind of most important for organizational purposes and good access to gear. Swift Industries also makes really awesome I think that rando bags, randoneering bags. Randoneering bags. French word yeah randoneering. Uh, (laughs) Big shout out to Swift. Yeah I ride with an amazing Swift bag that I borrowed from Niels. <laughs> but it fits everything. Every like it's so crazy the amount of things I could fit in that bag. And I just left it on even as like now it's on my bike that I ride to work and I can just like do anything after work before I have all the locks in there. Like um, no one brings a lock. I have five locks. Like <laughs> I can fit a whole, you know, bunch of wine and like six pack and whatever. Like I can bring it's great. You, I love you said Swift. you borrowed it from him, but it sounds like you have permanently borrowed it from him. <laughs> Stop. No. Niels can have it back anytime. But really, I'll keep it forever. If if it needs to be warmed by my bicycle tire, it's got a home. Bags are made for being used. So So let's talk about food. Lots of people seem to be very interested in what people do about food. Whether you bring food, whether you cook on the road, whether you're buying stuff from stores, or whether it depends. I'm hoping Niels will cook for me most of the time (laughs) with his cast iron skillet. No, I bring too much stuff. I bring all the backpacking meals and then go to the store and buy a whole meal to cook. So don't do what I do. I feel like a lot of the time we just ride bikes to go eat food in a beautiful place. (laughs) I love to cook. I love to cook for other people too. So a lot of the times I end up, like Megan said, with a cast iron skillet, kind of a ridiculous setup to be carrying around on a bike to make something I like. But I think, again, I think all of us have been to Henninger and camp there. That place is one of my favorite to do an overnighter. And I think it exhibits the idea the most where you can go from both extremes. Like you can go to Henninger during the summer 
with just a burrito and a hammock and literally nothing else, water or beer, you know, some, so burrito, a beverage and a hammock and be totally fine. And that could be your camping experience. Or you could go and carry a trailer with a cooler and a cast iron skillet and cook like a bunch of food and have a great party. And that would be the other end of the experience. So what kind of stuff are you cooking in that cast iron skillet? Do you have preferences for what you bring? Things that pack better or or keep longer? I think carrying certain staples and then seeing what you find on the road is my favorite approach. Like you will find maybe a fresh like fruit stand or a fresh vegetable stand along the side. And like they happen to have a bunch of tomatoes. So like what can I cook with these tomatoes? Or they happen to have some really great squash. And it's like, okay, this is what I'm cooking tonight. Uh, and I think if I have a couple kind of staples, almost like backups that I know I won't you know, be in trouble and then kind of see what emerges. I often like to, to buy food um, while I go. Again, it sort of depends on the trip. If I'm doing something that's a little bit more of a wilderness trip, obviously you have to bring your food. But one piece of advice I received was to sort of build your trip around themes. So uh, this summer I spent like two months touring and I made a point to stop at a lot of breweries and bakeries and so I didn't really need to bring much food and I just had an opportunity to stop at a lot of cool places try a lot of new types of food and also meet a lot of cool people when you're stopping if you're just you know it it can be a little bit more expensive there's trade-offs to everything this also can be time consuming to cook food so there's lots of things to consider but I did sort of like buying food along the way especially because I was traveling solo a lot so it sort of ended up being my opportunity to socialize burritos work well trader joe's sells a bean and cheese burrito for three dollars throw one of those in your bag right all day it's warm by the time you get to camp boom done i feel like burritos are always people's answer to all of, of all of people's packing issues. they're so damn portable they come in their own edible package you know there's also even a handlebar bag that's called a burrito bag and it's perfectly sized for putting in a burrito and just Bringing it up to Henninger, a couple burritos. I think uh, anything, if you, back to the, just bring your essentials and then find what you can get on the way. I do a lot of solo touring, so you don't really have to worry about, like, getting to camp on time for people or, like, everyone having a dinner time. So sometimes, like, you know, again, I have a lot of room, so I just, you know, you buy a whole pizza in the middle of the day. You know, you eat through it during the day and then you still have like six pieces when you get to camp. I mean, that's the bare minimum. And then like, you know, the flip side and preparing stuff, powdered eggs. I mean, anything tastes good if you add spice to it. So, I mean, you can get a lot of the pre-made spice packets at grocery stores in town if you're flying or, you know, beforehand if you're just driving to somewhere or riding to somewhere. Um, Trader Joe's, I mean, they have a lot of stuff that's just like, add rice kind of stuff but you don't have to add rice you can add hot dogs or whatever <laughs> like that's, that's what it says on the back add add rice or hot dogs yeah i mean you can that's the great i mean like no i mean i'm not a cook as much as nils is oh i had no idea that they would. <laughs> hot dogs only. i'm much more of a bare bones kind of uh hot dogs at camp kind of guy <laughs> And oatmeal in the morning and then eat pizza along the way. But otherwise, like, I, I think it's just like if you can just be imaginative with spices you can find in a grocery store and just carbohydrates, you know, you need those things if you're riding multiple days, obviously. And then type of protein, whether it be nuts or whatever, tofu or, you know, or a hamburger. I think the interesting thing about bike touring, bike packing, is it can be kind of an exercise in discomfort or in how far you're willing to push 
like different ends. Like you see some people who are doing ultra endurance bike packing events and they're surviving like on the bare minimum. So you can find lists online, for example, of calorie density of all Trader Joe's items. And you can find that coconut oil is probably the most caloric density item you could get and eat from Trader Joe's. And so maybe like your decision is you want to go really light or your decision is you want to go really cost effective. So maybe the one tour is, you know, I have these tortillas and I have peanut butter and I have this cheese and this is what I'm going to eat until I don't have that anymore. And then, you know, find it. And I think all of those, like I've done all of those kinds of tours and they can all be fun. So sometimes you're going somewhere that's further away than you can drive and you have to get your bike there. It's usually pretty easy to get a person somewhere on an airplane or a train or whatever other form of transportation you take, like maybe a boat. How do you get your bike there? Or do you? Do you buy a bike there? Trains are the best. I love trains that you can bring a bike on. There's only a few that are like, it's complicated. They don't make it easy. You have to know like which stops are okay to unload your bike from the train and that type of thing. Amtrak's getting better. I like Metrolink because you can just bring your bike on and take it off yourself. But Amtrak, you have to like put it in a separate car and then somebody's messing with it. And then you have to make sure you don't get off at the station where they won't unload it for you or bye-bye bicycle. But that's still really, really cool that Amtrak, Amtrak's trying to get more bike-friendly. Flying with my bike was a whole interesting set of uh, new anxieties that I didn't know existed. <laughs> I don't know why you would get anxious. Baggage is handled so <laughs> delicately at airports. Yeah, I don't know why people fly with their bikes, but it is a thing. I do know why, because I did it. And you want your bike. You just want your damn bike. You don't want somebody else's bike. You don't want to rent a bike. You don't want a mystery bike. You want your bike that you love and that you ride all the time and that fits you well and that you, fits all your stuff. You want your bike, right? But then getting it there, like, I don't know, I bought this bike box that was like not a cardboard box, but not like a fancy bike thing. It was sort of like an in-between bike box, but it came with like wheels on it for like $120. So I was like, at least I can roll the damn thing because I'm by myself with like my duffel bag that somehow has to fit on the bike. I don't know, it's crazy. But flying to Portland is cool because they have the bicycle like putting together area. Oh, sh I just hit the mic. Sorry about that. They you're, you're off the show. Fuck, bye. Um, no, Portland has the bike putting together area. Are there any other airports you guys know of that have the little bike mechanic area? Minneapolis. That's just such a treat. You get there and they're like, look, we know you brought a bike. And you're like, yay, I'm here. Except I didn't know that was going to happen. So I still had already had an appointment at a bike shop and just had the bike shop put it together. Shout out to Gladys. Gladys Bikes in Portland. That's the thing. So I had like door-to-door -door appointments where I had an appointment at Golden Saddle, awesome bike shop here in Los Angeles, Golden Saddle Cyclery, <laughs> to put my bike in the damn little box for me. They had to take it like all the way apart. And then I had to Uber, you know, Lyft, actually no, nobody uses Uber anymore, Lyft to, um, I had to Lyft to Gladys, oh, you know, Tommies. right, I know, <laughs> but I had an appointment there because like what if they were too busy and like, so I guess that would be my tip, make sure if you're not a mechanic, like I'm not that mechanically inclined, I'm also lazy and I didn't want to <laughs> carry a pedal wrench and all that BS with me, so make appointments. The bike shops really appreciate it. Nobody wants you to be like the guy with like half your bike taken apart the morning when everybody's supposed to start and there you are with like all your parts on the ground. Like no fun. But yeah, the bike shops are super accommodating. You already threw Uber under the bus. You want to throw a certain bike shipping company under the bus? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So my philosophy is now you're going on vacation, spend the money and just fly with your bike. Well, I'll go further into how you actually save money flying with your bike but one time i shipped my bike because i wanted to save money it's essentially the company that anybody will tell you to 
use if you ask hey who should i ship my bike through you know my bike got damaged that wasn't their that wasn't their problem that was fedex's problem so that's that that's a whole other thing i'm sure it was your problem once you got the bike yes it was very much my problem but also um just the logistics of having to try to ship your bike and dealing with a third-party uh company that's trying to ship it for you and i had to spend my whole day that i was gonna spend in dc exploring dc figuring out shipping labels with a company that wasn't picking up my phone calls i i am a fan of getting rained on i'm so sorry they're all no they're all directions no this is great they're not pointed at us at all they're not point so the sprinklers have gone off but we're in the safe zone. So anyway, you're talking about shipping your bike and then... Right. So I flew, I flew with my bike once and I didn't know how expensive it was going to be. And I paid a lot of money and it sucked. So the next time I flew with a bike, I shipped it and it was something I didn't want to deal with on the front end and the back end. So I went back to flying my bike. I did a little bit more research. You can find out certain certain companies like Alaska, um, JetBlue, depending on where they're going, Southwest, Virgin. It's all 50 bucks each way to take a bike. Otherwise, it's usually about 150 bucks each way. I go on bike tours all throughout the year, but I go on bigger ones where I have to fly to them twice a year. Counts it as my vacation. And once you're there, you're bike touring. So it's way cheaper than having to rent a car and then drive everywhere and stay in airbnbs and blah 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 if you're going on this vacation why not just spend the money and be sure that you're gonna have your bike there safely oh another note though regarding tsa just when you take your part your bike apart all the hardware all the nuts all the bolts everything that would fall out of a case if they opened it for any reason put it in your carry-on so you don't lose all of your nuts and your bolts that is great advice (laughs) yes yeah it happens to me i would say from what i've heard and personal experience tsa will always search bike boxes yes. none of yeah. us have folding bikes so that's probably why it didn't come up but that is a really good option for people who do a lot of flying um i think brampton and some folding bikes can actually fit on a carry-on so because of that i've actually considered purchasing one but i don't think i'm quite there yet would you recommend a razor scooter <laughs> hey, whatever works. <laughs> I would say no. <laughs> no. And then, yeah, another pro tip. I had, I brought, I kind of bought international ticket on Priceline and they ended up switching carriers that I was on at the last second. And I specifically researched, it is important because as Nathan said, the cost of flying with your bike can be 150 each way, which can add like an extra $300 to your ticket. So I made sure to fly on one of the airlines that was more affordable. Um, and of course they switched to one that was more expensive. I just very nicely spoke to the agent's manager until they didn't charge me $150. I, I think nicely just now was a euphemism for very angrily. <laughs> and it's interesting. Um, we can talk about, I think, adventure cycling. They're a really, really great group that have provide a ton of resources to to people who bike tour and they actually do some sort of like lobbying I think of Amtrak and some organizations and so people who are concerned about 
you know, maybe limited reservations that Amtrak has for cyclists or $150 airplane fees, they should write their these organizations and tell them how they feel. Let them know that like bike tourists pay attention and say, hey, I was going to buy a flight on your airline, but I didn't because it was so much money. Amtrak now has locked containers for guns on every single train. So they do listen to lobbyists. And Adventure Cycling has been working to lobby Amtrak to allow for more bike spaces on their trains. So let's talk about when you get to where you're trying to go and you want to figure out how to get from point A to point B and C and every other point. What do you do to navigate from where you are to where you want to be? I believe more in hard copy maps than computers just because of service and satellite capabilities and then also battery power and I'm already worrying about if I don't have a generator hub well which I do but if if you don't have a generator hub you gotta like charge other things and like conserving energy you don't want to or at least I don't want to be the guy that asks for a cup of coffee and then plugs in 12 devices into your outlet so I just I, I like maps and it's, so they're also kind of fun I didn't take the class but our friend Molly Arevalo took the class and I mooched off of her and learned she what she learned the class. she now teaches the class so you're recommending mooched education <laughs> yes mooched edu- oh yes isn't that what this this is a podcast about sharing info, absolutely right? yeah. Or, yeah or information mooching, mooching if you prefer no I, I, I believe more in reading maps because also when you don't have a predestined route on a computer device you can look at things around you like let's say you're making way better time than you planned on making and you have two hours to kill before you even want to get to camp you can look at different towns and then turn on your device and research those towns and find out like what's in those towns to do or if you were out in the middle of nowhere Obviously, you don't have any service, and depending on your maps, if you're in California, Tom Harrison is, or Tom Harris? Tom Harrison? Tom Harrison is trail. He does a lot of Western stuff, and then Adventure Cycling does um, a really good job of doing certain routes and telling you the best way to go via bike, as well as, like, where bike shops are and restaurants and bars and coffee shops and hotels and campgrounds. And then obviously Google Earth is a great thing to obviously that's more of a prep thing, but to save Google Earth snapshots of where you want to go and you can kind of compare it to when you have reception and when you don't. Just using multiple avenues of, of research before you start on a trip, whether it's a map from like ACA and then checking it against like other research by calling calling a local bike shop is a great way to start. If you're focused on a specific area, they'll often have inside knowledge, local knowledge about about the area and can point you in the right direction. But just having like a rough picture of where you're going and then contingency plans um, and not depending on one source. So not depending only on Google Maps specifically. Don't depend only on Google Maps. That's quite dangerous. But, you know, don't just rely on one information source. Last resort. Don't anger the monstrosity that is Google (laughs) or Alphabet. I would actually like to comment Google Maps maybe take some insight from cyclists and don't send them up a mountain because it's the shortest distance. Yeah, it doesn't always, exactly, it doesn't always factor in elevation, which uh, the adventure cycling maps do, so I really like them. And then sometimes they just don't know the shoulder width. I definitely have almost died a couple times from Google Maps telling me, and you know, and it's my own fault, of course, too. It's as, as Neil's just said, you need to do multiple avenues of research. But I did find myself on a road that was listed as very safe for cyclists where there was no shoulder. There was, it was four lanes, 60 miles an hour. And I had to, 
I just hopped over the railing with my loaded bike and kind of bushwhacked for a while. Honestly, don't know what else I would have done. I would like to second Nathan's vote for the paper map. And if you don't know how to read a paper map like I did not, then there are classes uh, like or, our friend Molly teaches. Yeah, or you can mooch off of other people. I don't recommend. <laughs> I mean, if you're a good yeah, learning by osmosis person, I just am not. I have to actually like do the thing like 50 times. I'm like, I, honestly, maps come really, really bad to me. I, I have no sense of direction. So I, I go overboard, as is my theme in this podcast. Um, it's how the ways, the many ways I go overboard and I plan uh, the route usually via like five different things. So I will always bring a paper map, but I will also have downloaded the route onto like three different apps on my phone <laughs> and I'll have multiple battery backups already ready. Like I don't even mess with thinking I'm going to plug something in. Backcountry stuff, it's a whole other world back there. Like you can really just die. Yeah. Like don't, yeah. don't take it lightly. As soon as you're more than like two miles into the backcountry, like be really, really prepared. Um, one thing that I highly recommend is calling a ranger. I generally always call the rangers in any area. A lot of times it's hard to figure out what roads you can even bring a bike on. So I want to know, you know, that they know we're in the area and that we're not pissing anybody off. You know, sometimes, of course, you're not always going to follow the ranger's directions. You're always going to follow the ranger's <laughs> directions. But every once in a while, you have to get a little creative. But uh, with weather stuff, it's important to know. This last year we had... In California, there was so much rain that a lot of the dirt trails and roads were just like not the same as they were even six months prior. Yeah, we were just trying to figure out what the current conditions are. We had those mudslides in Big Sur affected another one of our tours and we wanted to not have to do an in and out on the same road. We had to ride Nascimento Ferguson Road, which is like really, really beautiful, but like crazy one lane. It was the only way in and out of Big Sur. All the traffic for all the tourists were going on that road, plus the construction trucks. So it sounded real sketchy. Ended up being real beautiful, but we tried so hard to find a dirt way out of there and take dirt routes all the way through. And I, lucky I got a hold of some rangers that actually had some information, because sometimes they don't. With the backcountry rangers only check in every few weeks sometimes. Um, but yeah, I was told that what used to be a public road is now private and they have fences up, you know, and they have shotguns and you won't be able to pass. So you would have done all that work to climb out on the dirt and have to go back and go back to the road, which you never want to do, which is why I'm not a big fan of winging it. You can hear the anxiety in my voice just saying the phrase winging it. But I want to, I aspire to be someone who can wing it. I aspire to be someone who can just like be like, I'm just going where the wind takes me, but I'm not there yet. In the meantime, I'm like preparing the hell out of myself. But even if you are just trying to have a good time and wing it, always, always, always prepare if you're in the backcountry. Like don't mess around with the water sources. Always know where your water source is. That kind of stuff is like the difference between a good trip and you potentially like having to be airlifted out, you know? I'm a huge fan of winging it, but my number one rule <laughs> is don't die. But yeah, the easiest way to deal with getting from point A to point B is don't have a point B. <laughs> I love to just kind of meander around and figure things out as I go along. I think that's the best way to have an adventure. I have a feeling the two of you disagree. <laughs> but we travel well together still we, somehow. Yeah, yeah. We, um, I think, well, that's a whole other thing, sort of the group dynamics as opposed to biking solo. And when you're biking with a group, it's, you know, it's all about communication and figuring out what other people are comfortable with. And I, like Megan, I actually aspire to be a little more prepared. That was a lesson learned when I was hopping over a rail with a loaded bike was cars zipped by at 65 miles an hour. I was like, maybe this is the downside of winging it. So I think sometimes you can like compliment each other too. Yeah. 
for sure. I think that I, as I'll have a friend who, you know, on the trip who will be like, maybe we just try going this way instead of the route that you planned five or six different ways. And like, I really do my best to like go with those moments, you know, and be willing to just like scrap the plan as well as I plan. Like, I also want to be really like 100% okay with scrapping it if something cool turns out because you never know. It's like we went to a winery on the Big Sur trip I was talking about and a local told us about this road that we hadn't heard anything about from any cycling routes or any of the you know, hours and hours of research I spent. And these locals were like, oh, what was it? Oh, this I don't want to say because I don't want other people California. finding out about it, right? <laughs> we're not going to tell you. He called it the most beautiful road in California. Yeah. It was it was stunning. You can DM us if you want to know what road it is, but it's fan-freaking-tastic. It yeah. was really just such a, a treat to have a surprise road like that. So I think it's also important to plan and then scrap the plan if it comes exactly. up. <laughs> Let's talk about hazards. And I imagine the first largest worst hazard of all is human beings in cars. Yep. They're just human beings. <laughs> Depends on what you're doing. Sometimes bike tours don't involve cars or people. Sometimes you're in the forest for a couple of days and bears are the hazard or lack of water. Yeah, I guess in either sense, even if it is a human being, it's nice to have some sort of protection or noise maker. If this is again, obviously, if you're solo camping with bears, you know, obviously you want to make as much noise and stuff like that. But then people, it depends on if you're thug camping or not, you know, you want to be smart about where you're going. What? I've heard so many terms for that, and I've never heard anyone <laughs> call it hear thug camping. Definition of thug camping, yeah. Well, I, I mean, th I think thug camping is different from hobo camping. Like hobo camping is like okay. somewhere on a beach or like in a river bottom. Thug camping is like behind a liquor store or. <laughs> I've heard it called stealth camping. I like that thug camping's better. Stealth, I'm like, you're not a ninja. You just didn't feel like paying for a campsite. Like, Well, yeah, thug camping is not very stealth <laughs> if you're not good at it. I learned a lot about it. Minnesota nice in northern Minnesota. It's an ironic statement. They're not nice up there. <laughs> not all of them. There were a lot of people that were very nice that actually saved me. And uh, are you sure you don't yeah. just make a sweeping generalization about an entire state and leave it at that? Uh, yeah, the the casino, the casino in the neighboring hotel in Carleton, Minnesota. You guys suck. Boo. I don't know why, but I just support you, Nathan. Boo. I'll take my gambling dollars elsewhere. And then, I mean, cars. Um, you want to be as visible as possible. I typically wear all black, and my touring bike is gray, which is not a great thing. So um, that, that might explain the cars that you've totaled <laughs> with your with your bike and body. Well, apparently. so I've as I, as we talked about before, I've never been in a car accident on a bike tour just just while commuting and riding my bike around town <laughs> but that's all the thing don't have a very visible bike inherently and i always wear black and gray you know you can buy tape that's reflective by 3m that you can tape on your racks safety triangles while seeming nerdy actually safety pizza is a non-nerdy <laughs> alternative to a safety triangle a safety triangle is something that goes on your back of your bike to same thing to like um long long hauls will have on the back of their trucks but there's this guy safety pizza that makes it kind of fun it gives you a lot, a lot of toppings to put onto an orange and yellow <laughs> pizza um reflective mushrooms and pepperonis yeah just being as visible as possible some people have flags do any of you like those lights that go around your tires and all along your bike i had one of those they, they shook their head because they all understand that in an audio format <laughs> oh, yes. visuals are yes. yes i i know what i know what they are but i don't use them 
<laughs> I had a roommate give me a set, like just a rear wheel one, like the red, like the whole wheel lights up. It was in your spokes. Yeah, I felt invincible with that damn light on. <laughs> but it took four AA batteries, and it had to be like crazily installed and then uninstalled to get the batteries back in. So it went one round of batteries and then was garbage. But it was fine. I felt real powerful with those lights on. The one thing I wanted to say, I think the reason you didn't get a resounding, vigorous nodding when you said that drivers are probably the biggest obstacle is, and I'll be curious if other people agree with this statement, but wherever I bike tour, people ask like, oh, are you scared? Isn't this dangerous? And I'm like, I live in Los Angeles. Nowhere that I've toured has been scarier than my daily commute to work. Yeah. And I feel like in some ways, I guess I'm a little bit lucky for that. There's just many times other bike tours, they all warn me about Route 1 in Baja, Mexico. They're like, oh, the trucks, it's brutal. It was nothing i wasn't even the tiniest bit scared it was it was just nothing compared with my daily commute downtown la and also people just get stoked on you with a bunch of shit on your bike they give you room typically it depends on where, where you're bike touring like if you're bike touring laguna beach it's a different thing but if you're bike touring like in crater lake or death valley or something they'll give you room or typically you're gonna see those same people all day long because they're spending you know all day in their car 15 minutes at a time outside of it um and just driving around the park but uh, you know it's 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 a different world when you're bike touring because you're kind of that's the whole point you're getting out of i don't know la or whatever city you're living in you're going out at more outside you know it's like the people around you are also on vacation typically i don't know you just gotta be smart about it you mentioned that people always ask you questions about is it dangerous is it that is it that what are some of the misconceptions that people have what are those questions that you get and then what are the answers to those questions i feel like people a lot of times don't realize how easy it is to get places on a bicycle we a lot of times do just from la to leo carrillo yeah and people will catch us in Westlake. They're like, oh my God, you came from Los Angeles? <laughs> like, yeah, we've been riding for like two hours, maybe. Like, yeah. It's it's actually, uh, it's you know, when you're not racing, you know, and you're not trying to exert as much effort as possible, it's chill. That's the whole idea of bike touring is that it's chill. And even if you don't make it to your destination, the trick, I mean, you have everything with you. Right. So like... <laughs> you find a nice little field or liquor store you can just camp there i think another misconception is people who think they're not in good enough shape i feel like we have a lot of friends that are like oh i haven't been on a bike in months i can't possibly ride with you guys or couldn't possibly do that trip you know and i feel like you just get in shape as you go you know and people told me that with the aids life cycle too and i didn't believe it but it's totally true the key is just getting out there and doing it and going somewhere you know most people i found because i'm usually the slowest person on any bike tour i go on everybody's just stoked that everybody's there we're just like yay we have friends to go do this ridiculous thing with for a few days we all like get thrilled out of the same thing like we're so lucky to have people to do this with everyone's been always really um just kind and like not making me feel as bad as I make myself feel about being the slowest person on the ride and I think that most people would find that in any group that everybody's just happy to have more buddies out there so use your friends as resources you know everybody just wants more it's like the more the merrier we want everyone to come everyone is lonely and we all need friends it's true <laughs> it's true that's funny because i was just about to say a common misconception is on solo tours that i'm just a magnet for weird old dudes when i'm riding my bike <laughs> everyone 
thinks you just clearly want lots of company and you want someone with you talking nonstop the whole time for the rest. Ooh. And you're like, hey, like I have bike buddies. I just wanted a trip to clear my head and not make mindless conversation. That's a good point. I typically depends on, I mean, you know, when you go into the hiking bikes, depending on where you are, there's different realms of people that hang out in hiking bikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you just got to like be smart about it and you know um but it, it definitely is i'm also a more direct and loud and obnoxious person especially after i'm tired or you know just getting back from the bar towards camp i, I just like make make it known that like i this is my area and um, this is where i'm staying i think at the same time like the greatest thing about bike touring is that you meet a lot of people but you also have to like look out for yourself we were riding from pittsburgh to dc once we hit the south a little bit more we walked into a bar and like just the record screeched and <laughs> it's just you know you just gotta you, you read the read the room just you know you're not don't act entitled don't act like you belong here because you you worked as hard i mean you do you do deserve that beer but also like people don't know and people like also, like, depends on where you are, like, aren't really into the same things you're into. 99% of the people you meet are fabulous, though. But it's yeah. true. You have to sort of just read the room. It's you're you're in an unfamiliar territory. And I have had some uncomfortable situations. But by and large, usually I have I wake up to at campsites to people saying, hey, I saw you biking alone. Here's breakfast. Or every time I'd go in a brewery, someone was buying me a beer, whatever. So, you know, just be smart. Use your instincts. I don't really have much to add other than, <laughs> like, I would echo that, you know, risk management. So there's definitely some hike-a-bikes near here that I wouldn't feel comfortable camping in alone. I would even rather thug camp or bandit camp nearby than take, stay in that hike-a-bike. But then there are others yeah. that I feel totally comfortable sleeping in by myself and just showing up you know, late at night and then, you know, rolling out early in the morning. And explain exactly what a hike and bike is. A lot of the state parks, uh, the ones in California, I know most are along the coast here, will have what's called a hike and bike site. And it's usually an area reserved within the campsite just for hikers or cyclists. And you won't have a car, uh, usually a slightly cheaper site designed, you know, just for people who are or hiking through or biking through. No reservations needed or even usually available. So tell us how you go about planning where you're going to go, how you find out about what kind of routes are available or places you might want to take your bike. And then if you can think of one, recommend a nice beginner route for people who are maybe trying their very first bike packing trip. Yeah, okay. I do I do really like to plan. So when, of course, my very first bike packing trip, I planned and planned and planned for... And I was uh, lucky enough to have Lauren volunteer to come with and enthusiastically show me the way. That was my first time. No way. Yeah, with you and Danny and <laughs> yeah, me and uh, Jeremy. Yeah. And I thought it was a really great beginner route. We met up at, yes. what, Union Station probably. Mm -hmm. We rode to the river path that goes to Long Beach, which unfortunately doesn't connect with the other river path, but that's... Hello, LA. I'm working um, on it. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. Get <laughs> on it. Um, no, so you get on it in some weird industrial part. That's the worst part of the ride is getting to that river <laughs> path. But it go, it's a straight shot to what Long Beach, mm -hmm. and then you kind of just follow one to mm -hmm. Crystal Cove. And the thing about Crystal Cove is they have these really cool cottages that everyone's trying to book, and it's like so hard to book that everybody forgets that there's uh, campsites there. 
that are three miles in off a dirt road and it's a you know ocean view and you hike up a little bit i mean i couldn't ride my bike up the three miles of dirt it was too loaded and it was too steep and rutted but hey pushing your bike no shame in it three miles pushing your bike whoop-de-doo who cares took like however long it took i was just like thrilled to be there and uh, riding downloaded first time on dirt, a little bit scary, but it was great. Yeah, just like there's a Trader Joe's nearby. The beach is nearby. We got to go like, you know, get our groceries at Trader Joe's and then have a beer on the beach. And it was fantastic. So I, I definitely recommend that as a good first timer. It's relatively flat, too, which I think is nice for a first time. 50 miles, maybe 50 miles there. It's a little more, but yeah, I, I was, maybe 60. Funny. I was yeah. going to recommend that for a beginner one, too. It's perfect. Yeah, you recommended it to me. There I am. You have to pick a new one now. So I guess another one I would pick, this one is off a transit connection. I'd, I'd like to, you asked how how to plan trips, and I do like to try to plan them off of transit connections. To me, it's not fun, it's not as fun to sort of drive someplace with my bike. So I either want to be able to leave my house and bike there or to hop on Metrolink or Amtrak. So I would say actually take the train up um, in LA to Ventura and there's a great bike path there and there's some camp, there's a ton of campsites in that area. You can go to Ojai. Um, and if you're really ambitious, this might be beginner to intermediate. You can actually sort of bike east and hook out with um, the Metrolink station that's sort of near Antelope Valley or Lancaster, I guess. Palmdale, thank you. But yeah, if you, you know, Ventura has a great bike path. It's beautiful. There's plenty of accommodations. You can even do credit card camping if you don't have the camping gear. And that's just, you know, finding an Airbnb or a hotel and buying your way out of your problems. (laughs) But yeah, usually when I'm looking to plan a trip, I think the first thing I do is sort of just like ask around that's, you know, gay social media, just ask friends, hey, I'm looking to tour in this area. Do you know any good routes? And I think that's one of the best ways to, way better than Google Maps is to just hear it from other cyclists. I know that is... People should just ask that. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's, he's really good yeah. at recommending sort of routes that have like lower elevation. All right. So everyone become friends with Thad <laughs> and your problems will be solved. For planning routes, it often for me centers around a certain idea. Like maybe there's one place I want to go on a trip and then build something around that. Or maybe um, I want to try the, the train from here to San Luis Obispo and see, you know, what can you build around that trip? And I think it usually starts with like one element and then in the research phase you find other interesting things. And then if you're doing solo, you know, just your own interests. But if you're with a group, you know, you talk to the other people and then the trip kind of flows from there. A really great resource is Crazy Guy on the Bike. It's a website, crazyguyonabike.com. Once you decide your rough destination where you want to be, just go on that website and it's essentially just a long long kept forum of uh, bike journals of cyclotourists. You can kind of see what other people have done route wise and which ways to go and stuff like that. But as far as like easiest way, the easiest tour that I've done now was actually a rails to trail, which was mind blowing. And I've planned so many tours based on rails to trails since this one. I did the uh, Allegheny and the CNO canal path from Pittsburgh to DC and it's essentially it's it's perfect for cyclotouring because it's already flat because it was already graded for trains. The cities are built around the distance that an old train could make, which is about 20 miles. So every 20 miles you have a town and then along these more developed trails are campgrounds which are hike and bike which you'd like put in like a $5 bill into this little 
box and it has water um and all these things so like you really don't have to plan anything except for your your flight rails the trail.org i think is the organization that puts like make is making all this happen katie trail is another really awesome one that i've been meaning to do and then on the other end of it when they're more path less traveled google earth is actually while their directions aren't great for cyclists their application is amazing to scope out roads and dirt roads and literally just looking at an area like i want to go on this mountain bike trail in joshua tree but what is this little squiggly line and you zoom in and you can kind of again take screenshots and stuff for reference later you can explore that way and then that you know that kind of blends more into the not as off the off the beaten path um just to scope out roads and see the margin of like the median that you can you can ride in and uh how sketchy a road is to to ascend or descend so you just named a bunch of them are there any other websites you guys recommend especially if you know any that are really useful for people that would be outside of california somewhere somewhere else in the nation we've mentioned i think several of us have mentioned american cycling association aca they put together really well planned out routes with stop information at various stops with food lodging bikes those are really well put together routes and i think they even have tours that they lead so they'll have someone who's a more experienced bicycle tourist and they'll have them as kind of a leader so that's a great one i've been looking at bikepacking.com for some ideas for backcountry stuff out of state i'm really obsessed with their right up on the bct the black canyon trail in arizona and that's like next on my list i had the flu last year when some buddies went to it so i'm just gotta go i'm dying to go they have some really cool um yeah more bike packing than the road stuff which i'm sort of looking more and more to get into. I also think the Radivist is a good resource. They don't exactly post the routes per se, but their like write-ups on the tours that people are doing are sort of inspirational. You're like, oh wow, look at that area. That looks awesome. And sometimes they're on like sort of tried and true routes already. So if you do a little research on the area they're in, you can kind of find out what other cyclists have been doing in that area and find a route. And they also post a lot about the different bikes and it's sort of like a bike resource i guess i'm gonna give again a shout out to the local bike shop i think we're lucky to have a fairly well connected local bike shop that we all use but again in wherever you are planning your tour that's a great place to start and if they don't have the information probably can point you in the direction of someone who does uh, and again you're just calling like hey i'm coming into town what's what's some you know local hot spots um, and then when you do go tour there it's cool to go visit like I remember a tour we just did recently that you planned, Nate. We stopped at a shop, or a couple shops actually. Yeah. The tab I have open when I'm on Google Earth is Strava. I don't map my rides, but they have a thing called Global Heat Map, yeah. which um, when you're already looking at a specific area, you can see where other cyclists have ridden. And I always kind of try to go for the blues, which are the least ridden. <laughs> it's, it's actually kind of interesting to see, like, where that one guy rode to Uh, (laughs) and then like and then click back over to google earth and see what that road looks like and see oh maybe i can do that road we keep saying adventure cycling but we really are lucky to have this resource i was biking in france recently and some french people actually said like that their favorite place to bike tour is in the u.s because they're like you're so lucky to have adventure cycling and it was 
just a weird coincidence. They had done the same route I had just done. The, the maps are they're awesome. They have everything you need. They make it really, really easy to plan your trip. So I would have, really highly recommend that for anyone just getting into it. Become a member and you get a discount on maps too. Do any of you have any personal websites or social media accounts or anything that you would want to share? Or if people had questions they wanted to ask, would any of you be willing to answer them? You can find it. We're all on Instagram, yeah, which it's, you know, that's actually another way I think I plan a lot of my trips. I just sort of see what pictures inspire me and say, oh, hey, so-and-so, that looks like a cool trip. Like, give me the beta. One Instagram account I really like is in based out of the Bay Area, Boys in the Hoods, as in hoods on your uh, handlebars. They plan brevets, which are great things to kind of join in on. But also they post their routes and you can do little bubbles outside of their routes and see, you know, other things to find out on. But sorry, the answer was, yeah, I'll answer questions. (laughs) (laughs) DM us. All right. Well, you got to tell them where to find you to DM you. Lauren grab Lauren grab a brewski on Instagram. Megan Rose Donuts. C underscore baller. <laughs> I am Frank without beans. All right. And now for the final question, discussion, whatever you want to consider it. Any ad- final advice or final thought you want to leave people with that we haven't discussed or just something that hasn't been mentioned? Or if, if you don't have that, tell people why they should give bikepacking a try. I think it's a great way to get out there and explore just explore the world again we've been talking about planning i think a little bit misleading to just say just go explore Uh, i think planning is a key part of it but i think some of my best memories of the recent years are with the people here and with other friends i have on bikes and it's a great way to go really far distances in one sense but at the same time it's on a human scale because it's completely self-powered and you have that immediate experience of what you're doing and that connection to it that's really special and i think just get out there whether it's solo and meet people or with some of your friends and you can have a great a great time so if you like the idea of a road trip this is what a road trip should be like you you can stop wherever you have more time to take in the scenery and or um neighborhood that you're in or riding through you also can go places cars can't go that's i mean that's really what it's all about like you can go into mountains you can go down to sandy beaches and ride along the coasts in baja or you can you can ride over you know a peak and you can see things that usually you can't see in a car or you can see sometimes backpacking but it takes way longer when you're backpacking to do so and you can carry way less stuff I feel also bikepacking for me was more of just wanting to go on a vacation but not having a plan as much. Um, I didn't have to make any reservations. I have my tent, I have my food, I have my coffee and my beer so I can just kind of stop when I'm tired and go to sleep and then wake up the next morning and keep riding. It's, it's, it's a much more freeing way of if you really truly don't want reservations in your vacation to take a vacation. Nate and Neil's kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, It's great for exploring. I love the freedom of it and do it just because it it makes it just makes me really really happy. It makes me happier than almost anything else when I'm just out there on my bike. You feel really free and empowered and just like you can do almost anything. Get out of your cars. Cars are lame. (laughs) Fuck cars. Everybody ride a bike. Right and on that final note and now that the sprinklers have turned off and all the loud vehicles have left Let's start recording this podcast. (laughs) Now it's time for us to leave too. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody, for coming out here and uh, doing this tonight. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for Jason. having us. And, yeah. ho- and hopefully nobody regrets it. See. <laughs> <laughs>